Thank you, sweetie. Okay, I think I'm on here. Um, good morning, and how are y'all doing? Are we doing okay? We're in the Psalms, and today we're going to look at a Psalm, Psalm 51. As you, um, I, don't, I hope you uh, have a Bible nearby, you're turning to it. Um, I, I don't have a page number for the, for the Bible in the uh, uh, on the under the seats, so you'll just have to. Okay, it's four seventy four. Very good. Yes, that's right. I I forget Matt and Matt and our Bibles under the seats. They just happen to be the same page numbers. It's so wonderful. Um, so four hundred and seventy four. Um, as you're finding that there, um, I was thinking um, this week about um, various things in which. Um, or, or situations in which we need something that we can't provide for ourselves. Um, back in, um, gosh, what was the year? 1967. Back in 1967, the first ever uh, human heart transplant took place. I wonder what that might have been like, you know? I mean, people have been kind of, well, doctors and, you know, folks like that have been cutting into dead bodies for, you know, you know, a couple couple of centuries or so or maybe even longer. It's you know, finding out what's go what's what's that inside the body, what's going on in there. But here a a, a live person is lying on the table <laughs> and a doctor comes to him, cuts him open, removes the old heart and replaces it with a, a new heart, a fresh heart from somebody else who's still alive, or the person wasn't alive, um, but the heart was still functional, and puts it into this new body, sews it all up, gives him some medicine, and go, okay, will this take? Will he live? And lo and behold, he lived. And his heart started beating, and his, body, his blood was pumping normally. And they thought, well, isn't this wonderful? The first ever human heart transplant. But the, the thing about it is this guy named Louis Washkansky. That was his name. Louis, who lived in Cape, Down, Cape Town, South Africa. <clears throat> he couldn't have done that on his own. Couldn't have done that as, on his own. Couldn't have performed that surgery on himself. You know, if you have a problem, if you have a heart problem, what can you do about it? Your doctor may say, well, watch your diet, get some exercise, and you think, well, good, I'm in control of this. But when your heart fails, there's nothing you can do about it. When you go into congestive heart failure, you can't work your way out of that. <laughs> you can't exercise your way out of that or, or nutritionize your way out of that, right? You need somebody else to come along and do that surgery for you. Well, that's what God does, right? That's what God does. The Bible says very clearly that our hearts are wicked, our hearts are sinful, that they're broken, that they're messed up. You know, use whatever term you want to use. The point is that only God can give us a new heart. Only God can give us a new heart. 
We're going to look at this psalm today, Psalm 51. It's another lament psalm, another lament psalm that we've, been look, we've looked at a few of these in recent weeks. And it's another one of those psalms that it not only is a lament, but it has that penitential aspect to it. Penitential. A psalm of repentance and confession. Follow with me, uh, if you would. I'm going to uh, read from a different translation. So keep your place in your Bibles because I'm going to refer back to that. But if you would, follow with me up here on the screen through Psalm 51, this translation. And here it is. For the director, a melody of David. When Nathan the prophet went to David after he went to Bathsheba. Have pity on me, O God, consistent with your covenant love, consistent with your great compassions. Erase my rebellious actions. Thoroughly wash away my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin, for I, I admit that I have rebelled, and my sin is constantly in my face. Against you and you alone I sinned, And did evil in your sight. So that you are right when you speak. And you are justified when you punish. Behold I was born with guilt. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold you delight in truth inside of a person. And you make wisdom known in secret. You will purify me with hyssop. And I will become clean. And you will wash me and I will be white as snow. You make me hear rejoicing and gladness. The bones that you crushed will rejoice. Do not look at my sin. Wipe away all my iniquities. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and remake a steadfast spirit with, or spirit inside of me. Do not throw me out of your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit out of me. Bring back to me the joy of your salvation. A willing spirit will sustain me. Let me teach your ways to the ones who rebel. Then sinners will return to you. Take away my blood guilt, O God, God of salvation. I will give a victory shout for your righteousness. O Lord, you will open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. For you do not take pleasure in sacrifice. If I give a whole burnt offering, you are not pleased. Sacrifices of God are a spirit of brokenness and a broken and crushed heart. These, O God, you will not despise. With your favor, deal well to Zion. You will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and an entire whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be brought upon your altar. Let's pray. Father, um, God, I ask you to make these words come alive to our hearts and help us to have the understanding and the insight that we need. Lord, speak through me. I am just a broken, fragile vessel, a piece of pottery for your purposes. God, I am nothing. Your word and your truth are everything. And help us to understand it this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. We need a new heart, right? First, we need to understand that brokenness, brokenness is caused by sin. The brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of the world around us, is caused by sin. 
take a look at these um, few uh, few passages or a few verses here. Um, sin is oftentimes, and what we often think of sin as is sinful actions, right? Like he sinned, he did something wrong, he disobeyed. And it's interesting that, that the psalmist starts off with, um, according to, uh, in the ESV, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And most of our translations will say something like that. Transgressions, where this, uh, the other translation uh, uses rebellious actions, which is what they are. You think of, when you think of transgressions, when you see the word here in transgressions, think rebellious actions. Saying, I don't want to do what you do. When you see the sign that says no trespassing and you ignore it, what are you doing? I don't want to obey that sign. It's a transgression, a trespass. It's a, it's a rebellion. But it's not just rebellion. He also uses the term iniquity. And iniquity refers to the way sin is, makes us guilty. And you could translate it um, instead of take away my or wash away my iniquity, wash away my guilt. Because it's our sins that make us guilty before God. And then, of course, there's the, there's the, the, ver, the word itself, sin. When he says, cleanse me of my sin. He uses these three different terms. We've seen those in the other Psalms, haven't we? We see rebellious actions. We see, we see guilt. And then we see sin, which in its verb form really, really means missing the mark. Have you ever tried to do what's right and you keep messing up? You keep missing the mark? Sometimes that can be devastating. Sometimes we can just get used to it and think, uh, I'm always going to miss the mark on this one. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to sin like this. For, for David, as he's writing this psalm, it's not just about, well, that's just the way I am. I, I just always mess up. No, he uses all three of these terms for his sinful actions. And they're a big deal. He, it's, there's a, <laughs> we're, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see in a little bit how he, how he identifies the significance of his sin. But for, for, but for David, these, these encompass all of the sinful actions, not only that he's ever committed, but then of course specifically in this one sin of Bathsheba. But he also, but, but sin is not just those sinful actions though, is it? It's also a sinful nature. Look, at, look down with me at verses 5 and 6 where he says, Behold, I was born with guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. I was born with guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now what, how in the world could this baby, this, this brand new baby, being born, have sinned? What sin could this baby have committed? I hope the answer is none. I mean, I'm probably, that's what we should say, well, none, really. I mean, I mean, the baby just w- was just born. It, it wasn't consciously sinning. But David recognizes that the human experience from, actually, from conception, the next line, my mother conceived me, from conception all the way to death, the human experience is that we are sinners by nature. 
that we're sinners by nature. In sin, my mother conceived me. He's not referring to um, my mother fornicated. My mother sinned in the act of conceiving me. He's not saying that. But he's saying, look, from the very moment that I was conceived, my, my sinful nature was a reality. There are sinful actions and there's a sinful nature. And both of those things are a problem. Both of those things bring brokenness. Both of those things are, uh, are or result in, excuse me, brokenness in our lives. He says, behold, you delight in truth inside of a person. The, the um, ESV says, in the inward being. That's a really strange, um, really strange word. I, I was looking at this, trying to translate it this past week, um, or, or was maybe a week ago on this verse. Very strange, very unusual word, and it hardly ever appears in the Old Testament, maybe a couple of times. And it's just, it's so kind of a mysterious thing, which kind of fits this verse, doesn't it? <laughs> you delight in truth inside of a person or in the inward being, and you make wisdom known in secret? What is this kind of mysterious? What is he talking about? And I think he's talking about, he's talking about the fact that in our inward being, in our secret places in our lives, we're sinful. And God delights in transforming that little area of our lives taking it from sin and bringing truth and bringing wisdom, bringing what we'll see later, purity and wholeness and cleanness. We need our sinful natures rechanged. We need them renewed. Look at how, look at how David responds to this. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He says, and, and I translated it this way, for I, I admit that I have rebelled. That admitting, or in the ESV, the knowing, is that Hebrew word yada. To know something, to be intimately acquainted with something. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she gave birth to a son. It's euphemistic, euphemistic Hebrew terms, right? But it's that intimate knowledge. He knows it. He knows that he has rebelled, that he has transgressed, that he has willfully disobeyed God. And then he says, my sin is ever before me, my sin, he says, is constantly in my face. I can't get rid of it. I'm guilty. He realizes that he alone is responsible for his actions. That's, what, that's, a, that's something we have to recognize about brokenness and sin. We have to recognize it, and, and we have to help other people to recognize it too, as gently as we can, that we are responsible for our sin. You know, there is a, uh, on one hand, um, there is a good kind of, um, David's guilt here we can, we can identify with, and uh, there's a good kind of guilt. 
right? Paul says that there is a, a, a kind of sorrow or guilt about our sin that is good because it leads to repentance. But then there's a kind of sorrow that is a worldly sorrow that, well, it doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to hiding or it leads to shame or it leads to justifying our actions. It leads to saying, I'm okay, that's not a big deal. At least I've never murdered anyone. At least I'm only sinning in my heart or my mind or by myself. It's not affecting anybody else. And we're sorry about it and we feel bad about it, but it never leads to repentance. Because we don't recognize what David recognized next. And that is, our sin is first and foremost an affront to God. Against you and you alone I sinned. These, um, the reason why I translated the previous verse for I, I admit... I put two eyes in there because David is emphasizing himself in the one and in the very next verse he says against you and you alone to emphasize that he is totally responsible for his sin and his sin is totally against God. I think we can avoid a lot of dwelling or, or uh, kind of marinating in our own shame. <laughs> we can avoid a lot of self-justification. I think we can avoid a lot of that by recognizing with David that against God and God alone we've sinned and done evil in his sight. So that what is, what is, what is David recognized? So that so that, God, you are right when you speak. When you speak, you speak truthful things. When you, when you talk about my sin, you're talking about what is absolutely true. And I can't, I can't ignore it. I can't get away from it. You call sin, sin. Let's not call it something else. And you are justified when you punish. Well... The ESV says, and blameless in your judgment. That word judgment is, is, is judging the actual action and calling for a punishment. When the judge judges the criminal or the, uh, the uh, who, who is it, the defendant, to use the legal term, the defendant is punished. Receives a punishment. And, and David recognizes completely that God is justified when he punishes us. And God was justified when he punished David. You probably remember the story. When, um, when we read that this psalm is about when Nathan the prophet went to David after he went to Bathsheba another euphemistic term. When he went to Bathsheba, he didn't go and have tea at her house. Uh, In fact, he didn't go anywhere. 
She came to him, <laughs> and then he had his way, and he did what he did. We remember that story of David um, having sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery with her, and then after doing that, he goes, ah, that, that was pretty good, that was pretty satisfying, I like that. Until he got the message from Bathsheba, uh, guess what? Um, you know, my husband's been away fighting the wars, um, but I'm pregnant. So, how do you think that happened, David? Ah, David puts two and two together and realizes that he's got to do something about this, right? So, remember what he did. <laughs> Let's start with the cover-up. Let's see if we can get her husband to come back and, you know, go, ha go home and have marital relations with his wife so that, so that they'll think it's his, that it's his baby. It's all good. Didn't work out because Uriah, her husband, was a more honorable man than David was and said, how could I go back to my wife and enjoy my wife and my home when the rest of God's army is out there fighting battles? That didn't work out. David tried a couple times, didn't work out. Even tried getting Uriah drunk, thinking that maybe when his, his, he'll be a little bit impaired and he'll go ahead and go home. Didn't work. David realized, well, the only way to do this is to knock him off. I'll, I'll get rid of him. Call up Guido. Guido will, the hitman, and take care of Uriah. Well, no. But he sends... He sends Uriah to the front lines, sets him up to get knocked out, and now I, can, now I can go ahead and have this woman as my wife, then I'll look like the good guy, right? I'll look like the good, I'll like, hey, you lost your husband, come, you can be my wife among many, and I'll take care of you, and everything will be good, and everyone will know and assume that we'll have had marital relations, and then when you have a baby, it's all good, and they'll just think, Eh, no big deal, you know. Had a baby. Oh, it was a little bit premature, premature baby. But you know that happens, right? That happens. No big deal. There were no paternity tests. All the cover-ups, all of the sin, all of the self-justification, all of that led to one sin after another sin. And what was the result? What was the result? For David. What kind of brokenness did we see in his life? His friend. The man whose wife he slept with was one of his mighty men. Did you know that? It was one of his 30 mighty men. Dead. A, a, a family broken up. Guilt incurred. He thought it would go unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed. And then, the baby that was born, dead. All kinds of terrible actions or consequences. And when you're done reading that story in first, or excuse me, Second Samuel, and you keep on reading, and then you see the sexual sin that occurred in his children, and you see the rebellion that occurred in his children. 
His life was, from that point on, forever changed. Brokenness followed him. By his grace, one of his sons, the son of Bathsheba, of all, of all of his wives, by God's grace was put on the throne. But after him, the dynasty was over. The, the kingdom was broken up. David recognizes all of this. Brokenness is caused by sin. All of the devastation of his life was caused by this sin. And it was caused not just by the sinful actions, but by a sinful heart. David's known as the man after God's own heart, right? So why did he do all of this? Why would he have rebelled like that? What was wrong with his heart? Well, as we keep going in this, we see in the psalm, we see that brokenness requires a new heart. It requires a new heart. There is no other way. We must have a new heart to deal with the brokenness. Look what he says. He, he talks about the requirement of purity. He has to be pure. Look, what, look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And then he cries out, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. When he's requesting, purge me with hyssop, that's how the ESV puts it. It kind of sounds like an exhortation or maybe even a command or a request of God. The, the, the verbal forms in Hebrew are, you will purify me with hyssop. They are statements of what God does and can and will do. This purification with hyssop was what the priest did. They would take, you know, uh, water and they would use these hyssop branches and they would take this, this holy pure water and they would sprinkle it and that would be a ceremonial cleansing. Or they would take, um, they would, sometimes they would use that and they would take blood and they would sprinkle it. They would sprinkle that on the altar and they would do that in different sacrifices, different kind of ordinances. This, this kind of action by the priests David then, then says, this is what you do, God. This is what you do for me. You know, the priests do it day after day after day because of the people's sins. God does the same thing. Makes us pure. Makes us clean. We have to be clean. We have to be. How can, how can David hear joy and gladness or you, the, my translation, you make me here rejoicing. You make me here. You make me here rejoicing. Only when God does something will we hear rejoicing and gladness. The bones that you have crushed, God, will rejoice. Because when you renew me, when you take away the sin, when you take away my guilt, when you give me a new heart, God, I will be able to rejoice. I will be whole again. Only God, only God 
can wipe away our guilt. Only God, do not, he says, do not look at my sin. Wipe away all my iniquities. Guilts. <laughs> the plural of guilt. If we want to make guilt a noun. Do not look at my sin. Wipe away. Only God can do that. Only God can transform us. Here's the central, song, the central verse of the psalm. Create a pure heart in me, O God. And remake a steadfast spirit inside of me. Right? We've sung a song like that before. Create in me a pure heart or a clean heart. Only God can do that. Only God can create like that. Create is the Hebrew word bara. It's wonderful. You can write that in your notes. B-A-R-A, bara. It is a wonderful word. In the beginning... God, what did he do? Created the heavens and the earth. Bara, it's the first word in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> That's where it all came from. And, and David is saying, I need you to do that in me. I need you to do that in me. Because my heart is so messed up. I don't need medicine. I don't need better nutrition. I don't need more exercise. I need a complete heart transplant. I need you to do something in my life that only you can do. I need you to remake, refashion, mold a steadfast, a true, a true spirit inside of me. Because the one that's there is false. The one that's there is faulty. The one that is there Is just falling apart. What, did he, what does he say next? Do not throw me out of your presence. The ESV, ESV says, cast me not away. Do not throw me out. <laughs> I like that. Do not throw me out of your presence. Don't kick me out. Don't call your bouncers to send me on my way. Don't ban me from being in your presence. I don't want to be anywhere else. And what does he need? Uh, uh, where is that? Do not take your Holy Spirit out of me, is what he says next. And then he says, Br bring me back or bring back to me the joy of your salvation. A willing spirit will sustain me. These are things that only God can do. Only God can give us this kind of joy. We are broken and we need a new heart. I was thinking about, um, think of, think of uh, another, maybe another slightly different illustration. Um, have you ever, uh, there's, there's this procedure. <laughs> I, I wish I knew more about it, but I'm not much of a, biolog a biologist or a, or a scientist or a doctor. Actually, I'm not at all any of those things. But um, there, I've, I've heard of these, this transfusion process that happens where the blood is drained from a person's body and completely new blood 
is transfused into them. Anyone know what that process is called or heard of that? No, it's not a, well, no, not exactly, but, but they do that because there's something in the blood. There's something in the person's blood. There is a disease or a foreign material that needs to get out. And just adding a little bit of new blood is not going to make a difference because it's just going to mix with the old and it's just going to get all jacked up again. But this really crazy procedure that they do is, is like a restart. Get it all out. Get the, get the body in a, in, a, in a certain state so that it will, you know, not, you know, no, no damage will occur. And then begin this transfusion process of pumping in brand new blood into the body. I think about, you know, maybe that's, those kinds of images are the things that the, that the psalmist here, David, wants us to think about. Uh, you know, he, he's wrestling with his own sin. And he's sitting there pondering what he did. And maybe he's thinking, oh, if only I would have done this. Oh, looking back, if only I would have protected myself. Oh, if I only would have done that. And sure, and we, we can look at his story and think that. I think we can get, gain a lot of knowledge from that. But the fact was that he had caused this to himself and now he was going to have to deal with it. And he realized that he couldn't deal with it. That only God was going to be able to deal with it. Only God was going to be able to give him a new heart. Only God was going to be able to do something for him so that he could come back and be in God's presence again. Why is, God, why is David referred to as a man after God's own heart? Because when he realized that his heart was ugly and destroyed and broken, he said, I want God's heart. I want God to renew my heart, to create in me a clean heart. David's problem, really when it comes down to it, if you read the story, David's problem was that he thought he was all that. Pride. His heart was pretty stuck on himself. His heart was, you know, things are going pretty good for me. Look at all the things that we've done. We've done this, we've done that. I've defeated our enemies. Um, there are a few skirmishes here and there. My work pretty much is done. I can sit back and enjoy my life and enjoy what, what I've got. Work is over. Send the army out. Joab, you, you take care of those guys. So that in the spring, the time when the kings go out to war, David was in Jerusalem. David was chilling in his palace living the good life when other people around him were living and dying and breaking themselves for him. That's a big problem. Big problem. Big problem for David. Probably a problem for us too, don't you think? Well, the result of David's confession, the result here of him Acknowledging that his brokenness was caused by a sin, that his brokenness required a new heart, led him to this really uh, pretty awesome truth that brokenness ultimately can result in worship. 
brokenness ultimately can result in worship. We, I, I believe that when we acknowledge our brokenness and when we have God do something about our brokenness in giving us a new heart, that we actually become better witnesses. We actually become better witnesses. Look at what he says there in verses 13 to 15. Let me teach your ways to the ones who rebel. This is, this is a change. Wait, be, up to this point, he's been saying, God, help me. Take care of me. Do something in me. But then all of a sudden, there's this change. Now, now he's saying, hey, God, give me a chance to teach other people. Teach other ones who rebel. Other uh, transgressors or rebels. Let me teach your ways to the ones who rebel. And then sinners will return to you. They'll repent. They have sinned. They've been missing the mark. And now they will come back to you. Take away, he says, take away my blood guilt. Oh boy, he, he knew about blood guilt, didn't he? The guilt of, t- of, of another person's blood or, or the guilt that required his own blood in return. Because David should have been put to death for his sin. He should have been put to death for his sin, according to the Old Testament law. And he says, take away my blood guilt, so that what's going to happen? Then I will give a victory shout, or uh, a, uh, I will sing aloud, my tongue will sing aloud in your righteousness, of your righteousness. The singing aloud is the war cry, the cry of victory, the shout that... Victory has been accomplished because of God's righteousness. And then he says, O Lord, you will open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. My mouth will proclaim your praise. We become better witnesses because of our brokenness. When our brokenness is acknowledged and our brokenness is confessed and, and, and we say, God, I have sinned. God, I have rebelled against you. I've missed the mark. I am guilty. And God gives us a new heart. God transforms us. We become better witnesses. I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons that we don't witness more often is because we're not letting God do anything in our lives. The kinds of things that he, that he wants to do in our lives. And so we don't really have a story to tell. We don't really have, we don't really have anything to tell people. Uh, some of us get really caught up. I was talking with a friend um, this past week about testimony stories. <laughs> about, um, well, you know, I don't really have the kind of testimony of you know, I was on drugs, or I was an alcoholic, or um, I was sleeping around, or this or that or the other thing. What sins do we have in our lives that we're not confessing, that we're trying to live with? We don't need to tell people some fantastic story about how we were living under a bridge somewhere, and then we saw a vision of a cross in the sky and then we turned our life over to Jesus and we got turned around and now we're a missionary in Africa. We don't need a a story like that. Because the the people that we live around are everyday people. They need to see that God can do something every day in our lives. 
Every day, in the day in and the day out, just in our marriage relationships with our kids, you know, in our workplaces, in the little things, when we confess our sins and we acknowledge our brokenness to God on a regular basis, and He comes and He does something in our lives, that makes us better witnesses. Then we have something to praise. We have something to tell about. What about our worship? Our witness and our worship? What does he say next? For you do not take pleasure in sacrifice. If I give a whole burnt offering, which was a big deal, was a big deal in the Old Testament, if I give a whole burnt offering, you're not pleased. What? How can, how can David say this? How can David say that the things that God, that thing that God commanded them to do is not pleasing to him. Empty rituals. Empty, just going through the motions. As long as I'm in church every Sunday. Or as long as I check the box on my Bible reading. Or as long as I take out the trash when my wife asks me to. As long as I do all these little things, I'm, I'm building up credit with God and with other people. As long as I come to the temple and offer my sacrifices, I'll be, oh, no, I guess not. David says, no, God's not going to please with that. going to be pleased with that. Why? Because sacrifices of God are a spirit of brokenness and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You will not reject a broken heart. You will, not, you will not turn away a crushed heart, a broken spirit. When we come to worship with, with that kind of attitude, then God says, yes, it's a pleasing aroma. Yes, that sacrifice is beautiful. Yes, it's so pleasing to me. David recognized something here that is absolutely essential to the Old Testament. Don't think that in the Old Testament all people had to do was a bunch of good things and then God would accept them. God looked at their hearts. God accepted them based on, accepted those sacrifices based on their faith in God. Based on their hearts before God. Our works or our actions will only glorify God because they come from a humble and a transformed heart. What are we, what are we supposed to take away from this this morning? What has God been saying to you? We need a new heart. That's true. Do you think David knew God, walked with God before this sin? Yeah. Do you think that, um, that he was talking about when he said, create a pure heart in me, O God, that he was talking about a, once, a one-time event 
Was he talking about like a, a Jennifer event? Somebody who comes to faith in Christ for the very first time? I think he's talking about something that he needed every single day. He needed to be renewed every day. And this was a good time for him to pray that prayer. And then it got into our, our collection of psalms and into our Bibles so that we could go to it every day and as often as we need and pray along with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. That's a reality. If we're in Christ, our salvation is a reality. But the devil is stealing our joy day after day. And we're jacking it up because of our own brokenness. Because of our own sinful nature that we're still having to battle with while we're here on this earth. And our joy tends to fly away, float away, grow dim. Let us go with David to this psalm and cry out to God like this. This lament that, that, is, a, that is a penitential psalm that is also a cry of hope because God will save. God will give us a new heart. So, Louis Wyszkanski, I don't know if you, that's how you pronounce his name or not. Louis got his heart, right? Got that transformed heart. Everything was going really good. They gave him some medicine so that, so that his body wouldn't reject the, the heart. But he developed some problems while he was there in the hospital. And he started kind of getting sick. And 18 days after his heart transplant, he died of pneumonia. <laughs> kind of sad to think that, you know, that heart transplant worked for him, but he had other problems. <laughs> there are others who have lived for decades with a new heart. Pretty amazing to see. What can we learn from that? We need to go back to the, the healer. We need to go back to the surgeon who has all the answers. He doesn't, make, he doesn't mess things up. He's not unaware. He knows. He knows what we need. And it, one moment, it's, it's this new heart. We can think of it as a new heart. The next moment, it, it, it's we need something to help us to fight this pneumonia. Uh, the next moment, it's something to help us fight the cancer. God knows. We go back to Him day after day after day to be renewed and to be recreated. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time and this Word. Lord, I am... Um,
I confess my need to be renewed by you, God. Gosh, I, I feel like I'm constantly battling um, pride, battling discouragement, battling um, bitterness or envy, um, doubt, um, battling fears of uncertainty and um, feel it, fears of failure. God, I ask that you give me a new heart this morning. Lord, this morning, do something in us. And, do, and then every day, do something in us, God. Lord, may we be people who embrace repentance and confession. God, may we be people who, um, who have a story to tell today about your grace in our lives. Uh, not, not just 10 years ago, two days ago, 33 years ago in my case. But God, that, that we experience your grace and your mercy um, every day. God, that that will create in us um, to be witnesses and to be, to be worshipers that are pleasing to you. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. and Thank you, God, for your presence with us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. Would you stand with me as we sing this song? Let's give God our hearts. Let's offer our hearts to him that he can change them and do with them what he wills. To us.